Audio on. Hey guys, how are y'all doing? We're here with uh, Jonathan Wiseman. We got Jay Wise live. Uh, however, we almost didn't make it today, did we, bud? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, man? Man, it's been a rough 10 hours. Uh, uh, just having some back issues, man. My Every once in a while, every six months, my back just starts tripping on me. And typically, I can, you know, eat a painkiller and it goes away. Next day, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And it's been going on for like 48 hours, and it has just been miserable to where I just couldn't couldn't take it anymore. So uh, about three o'clock this morning, went to uh, the ER and uh, got checked in. They threw me in a bed and started filling me up with uh, medicine <laughs> to get rid of the pain. So. You might notice some of that medicine still still <laughs> lingering on a little bit. Hey, well, man, it's going to definitely make for a good show then, man. So. Sure. <laughs> well, I didn't want to miss it. Uh, you know, we make commitments. Absolutely. Uh, I was in the hospital uh, from 3 a.m. to 6-something, drove home, uh, showered up, got ready, drove here, and started my work day. Awesome. Uh, that's what it's about, being an entrepreneur. That's right, man. You got shit to do. Make sure you handle it, whatever it takes. Now, might look or act sound a little under the weather, <laughs> um, but we're still going to try to make this this happen. So appreciate everybody tuning in. Yep. Uh, this episode is going to be on e-commerce. That's right. Or taking businesses online. I know we had questions coming in. If y'all have any questions about e-commerce, uh, about online businesses, about shopping cart systems, platforms, anything related to selling products or services online, feel free to drop those in the comments now. Uh, and Aaron will get those asked and I'll try to answer them for you. Great, man. Well, uh, before we get any, you know, kind of into any questions, uh, when it comes to e-commerce, I don't know, I know a lot of people, man, I don't know anybody else that's got, uh, that's your, got your kind of uh, background and then success. So uh, just quickly share with us, man, kind of how'd you get into e-commerce, I guess you could say, and then talk about your ups. Maybe later we'll talk about your downs, but uh, start us off. Yeah, there's probably just as many downs as there are ups. <laughs> um, back in the day when I was owning club businesses, uh, my brother and I decided to launch a online supplement company. Okay. And it started off as a side project and then lended itself to be an exit strategy for me to retire from the club business. Uh, you know, the club business was fun when I was in my 20s, uh, maybe even early 30s. But once you start climbing those uh, age ladders, uh, you're, you know, it's a lifestyle. It's not a job. So coming home at four five, six in the morning, wasn't working. Uh, wasn't seeing my kids grow up, wasn't spending quality time with the family, worked every freaking holiday, mm. um, including birthdays. So it was just time to hang up my hat and uh, chatted with my brother about it, worked out a uh, an agreement to where I was going to exit the club business and run our supplement company full time. And that's when we got started. I think that was about, what, 2000, don't let me lie, it was about eight years ago was that 2012 so we launched the company uh 2012 i actually started running it in 2013 and what started off with uh one product um ran out of a home office 
I'll remember I was paying myself four grand a month. I I took a big pay cut to go run this company, Uh, paid myself four grand a month, and then I think uh, $8 per unit that I sold. There you go. And uh, that's what I had to go off of. And, you know, I was used to a six-figure income. So transitioning, it was either you bust your ass and you sell some units um, or it's not going to work out because uh, I had commitments. So luckily, um, I was utilizing my skills, uh, what I had known and learned in the past. And we took that brand to, you know, over the course of six years to a worldwide company, um, sold in just about every country worldwide, a global brand, um, did very high numbers, and it was a great success. Awesome, man. So, so talk to us a little bit, you know, we're, we're going to kind of get into this, I guess, I guess, as we go, but I just wanted to kind of take a, take a step back and, and say that, you know, when I've encountered some people that have started in e-commerce and this is, um, this is just, this is just what I've encountered is that I run into a lot of times people think it's getting Shopify or getting whatever their, you know, where they want their store to be throwing up some products online and then that's it. That's yeah. e-commerce, man. I'm, Am I wrong? You're not wrong. Uh, it is considered e-commerce. That's what a lot of uh, people think and a lot of people that I work with is if they build it, it will come. Right. Uh, or if you build it, they will come. And, and that's not the case. Um, you, the, the first task is, of course, getting a website, mm-hmm. uh, having a shopping cart, uh, connecting it to your merchant services, and any other third-party softwares that you use for uh, your administrative side of things to run your operations. Um, so the first part is building what I'll call your infrastructure or your digital assets um, internally as well as user-facing, which would be the website. That is part one. Part two is generating traffic to that site. Mm-hmm. Um, without the traffic, you're not going to sell anything. You, you can have the most beautiful website, spend 50 grand on it, but if nobody knows about it, they're not going to find you. So you have to figure out ways how to generate traffic, which is obviously the, the number one thing that I do with Jay Weiss, but that's the biggest part. Without traffic, you're dead in the water. Um, once you kind of get past those hurdles or put together those strategies, it is then learning, and, and what I find most people uh, realize is that there's so many other angles to it that they haven't thought about. Um, and there's uh, many different ways to optimize those angles. Um, and, you know, just selling on your website is one form of a revenue stream. Right. There are, you know, six to eight other ways to generate money from that asset uh, for selling your product. And most people aren't aware of those. Um, anybody getting into the business, many of them aren't aware of it. Many of them don't take advantage of it or they don't know how to do it efficiently or optimally. So, uh, or they might think it's too much of a headache so they just don't worry about it. But what I find is most people don't even know it exists. Mm-hmm. So building it is one thing. Marketing it is another. Optimizing it, have a, a solid back-end administrative infrastructure so that you can process and offer good quality service and then realizing and understanding what those other five to 10 revenue streams could be 
to really help you take that company and blow it up. Um, you know, e easy numbers. If your website is doing a hundred grand a month in sales, and all you're doing is just selling direct to consumer on your website, and that's it, you could probably double those sales in a three to six month period. Uh, and this is, you know, no bullshit, not fake numbers. Whatever you're doing, if you're not implementing all these other things, you could probably double your sales in three to six months if executed properly hmm. and you integrate um, all of those uh, third-party opportunities or revenue stream opportunities. Excellent, excellent. And I think you've shared a couple of those, some of your success that you currently have going on right now uh, on Facebook. Yeah, correct? yeah. we've... Uh, Data don't lie. <laughs> Data don't lie. There you go. Yeah. I love those posts. And, and the reason why I love them is because, one, um, you show transparency in your work. And I think that's very important. And we're going to talk about why, how to have that transparency. Um, but that's why, one, I like it. But, two, um, it's kind of the, you know, you're backing up what you're talking about, you know. I mean, it's exactly what it's, you know, data doesn't lie. And there's... Uh, a lot of people out there, especially now, with the, you know, everybody's becoming an online marketer or you've got all these coaches that are going to coach you on how to build a business, right? but they've never built their own business. Or they're going to tell you how to do marketing or Facebook marketing and they've never spent their own money. It, it's a lot different when you do pay-per-click campaigns on AdWords. Mm -hmm. If you're an agency and you have a client that's giving you 10 grand a month to do pay-per-click for their company, and you're running their campaigns, you're A-B testing, you're getting them results. Um, at the end of the day, it, it's still not your money, it's the client's money. So you might be managing a $10,000 a month budget, or you know, if you got 100 clients, you can say, I'm managing a million dollar budget a month or a year, but it's not your money. It's completely different when you're managing a $10,000 a month nut or budget mm -hmm. that is money out of your pocket to where if you fail, it stings. If you do good, you reap those benefits. So that's all of my marketing background comes from millions of dollars that we've spent, and that's over the course of several years. Um, but you know, I have spent millions and millions of dollars and advertising, uh, pay-per-click, Facebook, Instagram, social media, YouTube video marketing, SEO. All of this money that I've invested has been my own money out of my own pocket or my own company's pocket that were invested into these campaigns. So that if we didn't get a return, it hurt. You know, so it's a big difference when somebody's using their own money to advertise right. versus using a client's money. And if the campaign sucks or they fail or they don't get the return, worst thing that happens to them is they get fired and they have to go find a new client. Right. Wow, big deal. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there, and there's a lot of great people out there too. I'm not knocking everybody. I mean, there's tons of people that do amazing things out there in marketing, uh, but there's a big difference in you know, doing it with your own money versus hiring somebody that isn't doing it with their own, learning on their own dime. Uh, but going back to what I was saying, there's a lot of people out there that think they're these gurus or agents. You go silence that, Ty. Just put it on silent, please. Hector got it. Um, 
so anyhow uh that's what i don't remember where we were <laughs> oh we were talking about yeah <laughs> you're good uh this is the the beauty of being live so um but now we were talking about you know data doesn't lie and and yeah uh, yeah so it doesn't lie so i like to back up what i do it, it's from a very early age you know my brothers used to tell me um don't tell me show me and that is something that has stuck with me my whole life and it's real easy to talk a good game especially when it comes to digital marketing or seo or you know you can start using all these technical terms sure that you know the client doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about so you can basically bullshit your way through anything and they have no way to fact check it unless you know that it's they're busy doing what they're doing they don't know your industry so you can start talking about link building strategies and citations and you know canonical content and start <laughs> throwing out these big words and they don't know what you're talking about and they're just shaking their head um, but i like to show data first look this is what i'm doing with my own companies this is what i'm doing for my clients these are true numbers these are factual the data doesn't lie it shows you how you know we've taken a company from doing two grand a month to a hundred grand a month over x amount of months um, how we've getting online services will take a client's budget of fifteen thousand dollars over a six month period but it turned into a hundred and fifty thousand dollar return so it's and these are real numbers and the reason why i show it too it's really important for people to understand that it's it takes balls to invest into me or into my company and our style of marketing if your budget's only a thousand dollars a month um unfortunately you know it's not going to meet my requirement to work with us sure uh, but we do offer consulting services so i will consult hourly for companies that can't afford me and just be like look basically you hire me for an hour i'll consult i'll give you the strategies and then you can go find a more cost-effective solution to execute it for you so that you can still get the fucking dynamite badass strategies you just need somebody else to execute mm -hmm. uh, but for the ones that can afford us it's we don't just do marketing for companies and get them a little return don't spend a thousand to get twelve hundred back or thousand to get fifteen hundred. So I spent, you know, twelve grand this whole year and I made eighteen thousand dollars. With all due respect, big fucking deal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I know people gotta start small, start somewhere, but that is a typical marketing company that's just gonna show you some type of return. They'll take whatever amount of money you have, even if it's three hundred dollars a month. They'll take that three hundred and pray that they're going to get you back three fifty or more. Let's just say four hundred dollars. So if they can make you that thirty percent increase, it's like, hey, we're doing our job. Keep retaining me. Keep paying. Right. Me. And as I've said many times, most marketing companies, their churn rates four months. They want to bring you on. They promise you the world. They work really hard for two or three months. And if they're lucky, they figure something out and they get you a return. If not, it goes stale. You fire them and then they move on to the next one. So what I do, I'm not in that business. You know, I don't even really call myself an agency. I'm a digital strategist that has a team of people that execute my strategies and we don't just do marketing and get paid we actually build brands and scale them it's not about you know you spending two grand and me making you a return of 
three grand, so there's a thousand dollar profit margin. I'm trying to figure out how over twelve months to where month one you invest two grand, month one I might get you back two grand because we're A B testing. By month three or four, we should have doubled up by then. You should be spending four grand and I should be getting you eight grand back. By the third quarter, we should be at least 15 to 20 grand investment where you're getting back 30 to 60 grand return on that. By the end of the year, we're now at a $50,000 investment and I'm making you 200 grand. So we might start small with two grand at the very beginning, but by the end of that year, I'm trying to make you a couple hundred thousand dollars minimum. Right. Because you're going to spend 50 minimum. My get in is 50 grand a year. Uh, my goal is off my clients. You know, the goal is for me to make six figures plus. So if I'm going to make a hundred grand off you as a client, I need to be making you at least half a million dollars. So that's not being your marketing agency. That's being your digital strategist that is really here to help you grow and scale your business. But the only way to do that successfully and in a somewhat quick time frame in 12 months is you have to have the balls and you have to have the capital to invest so that I can get you those type of results. And the only way that I'm going to bring on clients that trust me is by showing them data don't lie. This is what I've done with my other clients over the years. This is what I've done with my own companies. This is what I can do for you. You trust me, we'll blow your shit up. And if I can't, I'm, I know before I get my feet wet in this, if I can help you or not. So when I say it has to be a good fit, if you're in a business model that I don't know shit about, it's saturated, I can't make you a good return, I can't make any promises, it's I'm gonna politely decline doing business with you because it's not worth it's not worth it for me you know it's not worth it to fuck with my reputation sure from having a hundred percent success rate it's not worth burning a bridge with you as a client most likely all my clients come from referral so it's going to make shit weird with whoever we mutually know it's i much rather get into let's just say a lawyer i know how to dominate for attorneys if you're Fuck, I don't even know what to think of. Uh, if you're a company that I can't do business with, that's the problem is every single person I've worked with, we've gotten <laughs> results. Um, if, if Dallas Cowboys, if you're a licensing company and you want to license NFL logos, I don't know shit about that. I wouldn't even know where to start. Right. It's not really my realm. It's not worth my time. It's not worth, I call it bandwidth. I don't want to spread myself thin. And, and you know what would normally take 20% of my bandwidth to run and operate for a client, uh, this is going to take 60% because I don't know what the fuck I'm dealing with. I'd rather just say thanks but no thanks and find somebody else to do business with. I like it, man. And, you know, and I think, so we're going to talk a little bit more about data, but uh, we can see we have a couple people just joining us. So uh, if you're here, thanks for joining us. We're Jay Wise Live. I'm here with Jonathan Wiseman. I'm Aaron Morales, and we're talking about e-commerce today we're talking about e-commerce so what up people yeah we just did a little intro we talked about some of the history talked about some ups maybe we'll talk about downs later i don't know um yeah, I've but got a, i've got a good down you'll love <laughs> but before we get into that we had the data don't lie and uh if you want to see more of that make sure you're checking out jonathan wiseman's facebook page um i removed some of them yeah you shouldn't have. I like that. I know. I just did it because it was starting to clutter where all you saw was graphs and screenshots. And I was like, man. But I just want to remind the viewers, those are great places for you to ask questions about the data. 
For sure. I think those are great places. Be, and those are great. And not only that, that, and then, you know, bringing those questions onto the show. Um, but ask questions. I mean, that's why we're doing this. And so let's talk about data really quick. Um, I, I encountered recently someone looking at some data inside of what was going on in their e-commerce. And I think something to, to be mindful <clears throat> of is key performance indicators, like what you're looking at. Because I think it's one thing to say, you know, um, all right, here's one of my success, but then like you talked about optimization of it, right? So it's like how to make it better. So it's like, so my question to you is what are some, <clears throat> what are some in your experience, key performance indicators you should be looking at? Cause sure, no duh, sales. <clears throat> Obviously I'm gonna look at my sales volume, but w- what do I need to dive into maybe deeper on my Shopify or whatever I'm using? What do I need to be looking at? It's crazy. Um, these days, there's data in everything. And that's really what I do. I'm a data miner. I look at the data, the data tells me what to do. On the front end, there's some strategies and ideas and thought process that go into it, but once you start executing, it really comes down to data. Data tells you everything. So whether it's marketing campaigns, whether it's Google Analytics, looking at on the back end to see how things are performing, what's converting, what your click-through rates are. If you're looking uh, from a customer service side, if you're using, uh, who are we using for CSR? Um, if you're, you know, the data will tell you how long it takes you to answer your phone. Okay. How long it takes you before you respond to a chat. How many chats are you responding to an hour? Uh, within that hour, how many of those chats were responded to in 10 seconds versus two minutes. So looking at all that data can let you know how to improve upon your customer service or if you need to or not, if you're dropping the ball anywhere. Uh, All of the numbers that we use are ghost numbers or also known as hosted numbers where we record every conversation. Uh, We're looking to see how long we're staying on those phone calls, what phone calls we're missing. Uh, We can even go back and secret shop and listen in on those actual phone calls to make sure that our staff is, you know, hitting their uh, sales uh, properly or the rebuttals properly, whatever their pitches are. So there's a lot of different ways that we can take data from every single metric, platform, third-party integration website that we're using and analyze all that data. I mean, we drop heat maps on websites just to see where people scroll, what they hover over, where they click. Uh, I can look at uh, on one on the homepage of my website, if there was a hundred thousand people that landed there, I can tell you from what platform they came from, what browser they were using, where they scrolled, what they liked, what they didn't like, if they scrolled down the page, if they clicked here. I mean, there's a thousand, and I'm not exaggerating. There's a thousand different metrics that you can check on heat maps. Uh, and crazyegg.com is nice. one we've used, so y'all can check that out to learn a little bit more about that. But there are metrics on your website, on the user-facing side, on the back-end, on the admin, on your customer service, your marketing campaigns. Data is everything, and you want to use that to the fullest because it tells you where to go. I like it. I like it. Yeah, key performance indicators are there. I think they're a big part of it. And kind of like you said, you know, there's there's you know your KPIs on the marketing side. There's your KPIs, especially on inside of your e-commerce side and Shopify and whatnot. So um, those are great. But you you hit on a couple of things we're going to talk about in a minute. But um, I want to talk about secret shopping in a second. I want to pick your brain on that. Before we get there, I want to talk about competitive pricing. So I'm going to give you a scenario here. Um, you know, let's say I own a t-shirt biz, right? And I got, I got, uh, 
I used to do this. So I used to create, you know, fun graphic t-shirts. I'm throwing them out there. But, you know, my sales, um, maybe my sales are doing okay. Maybe I want to make them better. But maybe something I didn't do was, uh, should I be going out and looking at what other graphic t-shirt companies are pricing? How do I do that? How do I you know, successfully, I guess you could say, look at the market and competitive price. What are, what has been your experience with that? Um, I used to own a t-shirt business, by the way. There you go. Way back in the day. Uh New shit. Uh, for those of y'all that remember that back (laughs) in the day, um, pricing. Yes. You can do some competitive analysis to see what's going on and, uh, that industry or in the marketplace for those products or goods. And you can stay within that area. If you're not producing them yourself and you're reselling somebody else's, um, they might give you uh, minimum requirement map pricing, you know, the minimum advertised price that you can sell those shirts at. So there's a couple of different things to look at. Me personally, with all my companies, um, I always wanted to be on the higher end of pricing. I wanted to be, you know, call it a luxury brand for lack of knowing what to call it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be luxury, but I always wanted to be on the higher tier of stuff. So I would spend the extra, you know, t-shirt. Let's just say you sell a t-shirt. Shit, I see them selling for 40 bucks now just for a graphic t-shirt. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. The difference between a Hanes 50-50 cotton polyester blend <laughs> versus a American apparel, uh, you know, tri-blend that is comfortable, cut right. You know, the difference it's from... like a glove. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, the price... This isn't one. The price is a difference from you on the manufacturing side or the producing side is a $3 difference. But on the consumer side, it's the difference between selling some piece of shit shirt for $12 or the best freaking shirt on the market for $29.99. And I never understood it. I don't get why people don't invest a little bit more on the front end so that you can maximize on the back end. So that's an example of quality and how to tie in the pricing to that or uh, have a higher um, price point for your product. But it really also comes down to experience. You know, if you're doing... Uh, a St. Patty's Day t-shirt and you do it on the tri-blend. There's a thousand other tri-blend Patty's Day t-shirts out there. So what's going to differentiate you from those? And why, if you want to sell it for $10 more than everybody else, what is going to allow you to do that and do it successfully? It is the experience of the purchase. It's the experience when they receive the product. And it's the post-purchase experience as well and that's what's going to be the game changer you know most let me rephrase it i don't know that data to be true or not but i will say a lot of people are just more focused on getting the sale and that is what their goal is that's their kpi getting the sale and they don't think anywhere further beyond that so for me it's getting the sale of course but it's also about the experience. The experience they have when they go to our website. 
how user-friendly it is, uh, how engaging it is. There's interaction on there. You can see videos. You can see people talking about the item that you're buying. You can actually see it in real use with videos. You can see podcast interviews about the products from maybe some of the customers, some client testimonials. So it's that experience when you get there, you build that credibility and you explain what that item is and exactly what you're getting and even see a couple of people talking about it that have bought it, used it, and right. they approve. Um, that's part one. Part two is when you receive it in the mail, it's all about the unboxing experience. Right. You know, if you, in several instances, the packaging for my products costs more than the actual product. <laughs> so uh, a cream, do we have any samples here? One of our creams, uh, topicals that we do, it costs, for easy numbers, $5 to make. We sell it for $40 online. So it's, you know, $35 profit margin, great numbers, great margins. Um, you can get a simple box. One, you don't even have to have packaging. You throw it in a fucking bubble mailer and mail a bubble mailer and it right. shows up like that, which we did when we started out. Um, now what we do is, you know, we spend $5 on the packaging. It, it's it's like uh, anybody that's opened up a, a MacBook Pro or an iPhone. Yeah. You know, there's packaging, there's cellophane, there's, you know, little doodads in there, compartments. I mean, it's it, it's an amazing experience when you open up those phones from Apple. And so you want to create that same type of experience when you're selling one of these products. And you can do that at a low price point. I mean, at five bucks, you can give somebody that experience. So the difference of me selling whatever that item is, uh, when my competitors are selling it and sending it in a bubble mailer for $15, I'm sending it in that custom box, and then that box also has to be shipped in a box. You can't ship it in a bubble mailer. So it's gonna cost me an extra dollar on the extra box I gotta buy. It's gonna cost me $5 more for the custom box. Then I had to put that custom box in a shipping box so that the custom box doesn't get damaged. Right. Feel me? So yeah. that's two boxes that I have to buy now. And that other, you know, brown cardboard box, I want to get that customized with my logo on it or some cute little saying on the side of the box. So when people see it at the door, see it in the mail, they know that's coming from me. Right. In addition to that, I'm going to pay five times the amount for postage. So where a bubble mailer is $1.36 to mail in a bubble mailer, let's say it was a t-shirt, goes out bubble mailer, I'm making the shirt, I'm sending out for $1.36. Well now, because that t-shirt comes in a dope-ass box, that box comes in another box, I'm paying $5 for shipping. So my cost of goods went from $5 plus $1.36, $6.36 on the bubble mailer t-shirt. Over here, it jumped up to around $12. Big difference on what my my cost of goods sold and shipping are uh, uh what was it six seven dollar difference right but i can charge an extra 20 30 dollars on the back end for the same item as well as when it shows up the end user gets that unboxing experience and then what's so great about that is when you start talking about influencer marketing and you're getting people to post pictures of that you want people posting a picture of your shirt that is just a, a shitty ass shirt and a bubble mailer, or would you rather them show that whole beautiful unboxing experience that brings value, it brings quality, the luxurious factor, the wow factor, to let people know that this isn't some bull, you know, it's, I'm sure there's things you bought on Amazon <clears throat> before 
good brands and non-good brands, let's just say lip balm. A tub of lip balm shows up. And when you get the Amazon box, you can shake it and hear it. <laughs> you open it, and there's nothing in there but that little lip balm bouncing, bouncing all around. around. And I don't care if it's a shitty brand or if it's Carmex or one of the best brands on the market. It's just a letdown. At least to me it is. It's like, what a shitty experience. You know, they got my thing flopping around, no telling. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's for me, I don't like it. But if that Carmex was inside of another box and it was shipped in a box that was the right size in the first place and there was a tissue paper, there was some cellophane, there was some unboxing to it, it just makes for a whole lot better um, experience. And I believe that you can take advantage of that uh, as an extra revenue stream and benefit from it. Couldn't agree more. And, and uh, back in 2017, I was, I was helping a guy out doing some, uh, doing some work on a scrub company that he was starting to bring, you know, build up and, and develop. And we did some competitive pricing and we looked at this brand figs, these fig scrubs. And my God, these, these usually scrubs, you know, I think we're like, you know, 25 to $30. These scrubs are like, you know, 60, $70 scrubs. I was like, who the hell's going to pay that much? But then you go to their site and you see the experience. You see them explain, this is what your typical scrub will fit you like. This is what the fig scrub experience will fit you like. Then we ordered some, and you talk about the unboxing experience. I mean, scrubs weren't even for me to wear, and I wanted to put the shit on. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I, so I think you're right. And I think it is, it's about that experience. And in Amazon, we've, we've gone, it's such different ways. People value that speed, but I completely agree with you. Even when I get like cans of dog food, man, they used to put that in the largest damn box, and it just, it's flopping around, it breaks, and then half the time your stuff breaks. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right with you on that. Um, so we're, we're talking about competitive pricing, and I want to move into secret shopping, man. Okay. Because um, I've been a secret shopper before, but I'm going to turn it back over to you. How do you approach secret shopping for your own brands? And then have you ever done it when you're starting maybe working with a company and you want to know what other brands are doing whenever you're trying to get insight on that market? You've ever done that? Take away. I have called um, competitors when I've launched new businesses. So I've called the top competitors in those industries. I've actually bought the product uh, both from their website directly as well as from Amazon um, so that I can see what each one of those experiences are. Also, when you buy those products, if they have automation set up, you get added to whatever their automation is. Um, email, newsletters, whatever the case might be. So it's a form of competitor spying. Uh, but it's also seeing how they answer the questions, how knowledgeable they are on their product, if they're in-housing that, or if they're outsourcing it to call centers overseas, call centers locally. There's a lot that you can find out um, by contacting people and acting like you're a real client and vetting that process. So definitely I do that uh, towards competitors in several different businesses, both e-com as well as service-related companies. Um, I have been known to... Uh, this, this is going to be good. Here we go. Because <laughs> I see the smile coming. <laughs> I mean, I secret shop my staff. Um, my sales department, my uh, customer service department. Um, as I was talking about earlier, all the different platforms that we use, all the data, it's all recordable. Your, your chat systems, your phone calls, your text messages, your support tickets, all of that is saved and you can analyze all of it. 
Um, I call, I uh, just did it like three days ago. I called my customer service line on the hour, every hour, <laughs> just to make sure that the phone was getting answered. Uh, I did it about six weeks ago and they picked up half the calls. Um, we had a nice meeting about it. Mm. And when I did it last week, every single call got answered. So that was a way of doing it. I've had other people, you know, so they don't recognize my phone number and my voice. I've had other people that I know, you know, do some secret shopping from their phone. And, you know, just, it's not like you're trying to stump them, you know, or stop them in their tracks or really, you know, mess them up. I don't want to do that. But you definitely want to have another pair pair of ears and eyes on it or kind of see what type of experience your your customers are getting. And it's just as important as the unboxing experience as it is the phone call experience. Uh, even if you're calling back for tracking, you know, hey, I ordered a week ago, where's my package at? You want to make sure that's a pleasant experience. You can just be like, okay, I'll email your tracking or it's on the way, you'll have it in two days. Or you could simply respond with, I'm pulling it up right now. Thank you for being a valued customer. I noticed that your package is about 48 hours away. It's in Destin, Florida right now. It'll be to you and uh, it says a day or two. I'm gonna go ahead and email you and text you the tracking number so you can check it yourself. Uh, I'm gonna leave my name and my direct line on there as well. If you have any questions, if it doesn't get to you, call me first thing. I'll be sure to go ahead and follow up and track it. And if you're busy and you don't wanna mess with it, here's my direct number. Just call me and I'll do all the dirty work for you. Quality assurance right there. I mean, it's it's the little things like that yeah. make the biggest fucking difference um, and, and help you. It's not just about the sale. It, it, you know, obviously it's tracking. That's after the sale. That's post-sale. But they will remember that forever and they will come back to you instead of going and purchasing from a competitor. Because as soon as they have a bad experience with a competitor, um, they will come back and they will remember that. Good insight. Good insight. Um, you mentioned a nice, fun meeting with your sales team, uh, with your customer your customer support team. But um, so, let's say someone does some secret shopping. They find, like you said, you know, half the calls are being answered. How do you get that motivation back up? What do you, What do you do? Um, and then talk to us maybe about something I think we've talked about before, called the perfect pitch. What are, What are your thoughts on that? Um. Uh, I love the perfect pitch. Uh, don't be stealing my words. Uh, playing. Everybody can steal them and have them. Um, <clears throat> there's a couple different ways to handle those meetings. Uh, I think back in the day, um, before I was a good leader, I used to use scare tactics. Do the job or lose the job. It's that simple. Um, I have since changed, but that is one way to handle it if that's the way you run your business uh scare tactics um is probably should be the last option on the list uh, i think really making sure that your staff is properly trained and they know exactly what their scope of work is uh, what their expectations are they fully understand how to use all of the softwares or the tools that they have to perform their job that they know how to use them completely uh right ty <laughs> it's uh you know there's you have to give them the tools you have to train them the right way they need to know what your expectations are they need to know how to handle it if you're not doing that then it's your fault the shit isn't getting done 
So you need to make sure as a business owner or running a department, whatever your position might be, CEO, CEO, whatever it is, it's your responsibility. If shit isn't getting done the right way, it's your fault. You're, you're lacking somewhere. Uh, and in the very rare case that it's not your fault and you just have a bad seed, then it's time to replace it. Naturally. But for the most part, it's your fault as a owner or CEO if the job is not getting done right. Um, so, you know, going back and retraining, uh, having regular meetings about it and actually going over the stats because it's all on data. It was all stats. I pulled it up and showed them straight up. Look, there was 600 phone calls in the last two weeks and this percentage got answered. This percentage went past a whole time of two minutes. That's not fucking acceptable mm-hmm. now, but it's such good data that it's like, okay, is it my customer services fault? Can they handle that many calls or do I need to add another customer service rep? Okay. So it's insight for both of us. Uh, but anyhow, to kind of go back and answer the question, one thing I like to do always is incentivize people. So if y'all can get, you know, right here, 600 phone calls, uh, 25% of them had a longer wait time than two minutes. If y'all can get it down to where next month, Nobody has a longer than a one minute call time, which is very reasonable for this business model. And there's no missed calls during working operations. I'm going to give each one of y'all a $250 bonus. Nice. You know, or whatever that number is. Right. Incentivize them and reward them when they do good. You know, it's easy to bash people and talk shit to them when they do bad when half the time it's probably your fault in the first place (laughs) Um, but it's anytime you can reward them when they're doing good you can incentivize them i mean if you're getting your your wait time less than a minute you're not missing any phone calls uh for the course of a whole entire month and you're typically doing 15 order 1500 orders a month at an average of a hundred dollar price point that's one hundred fifty thousand dollars a month versus what might have been 110000 So you're making an extra $40,000 a month if your team is executing well. So break them off a couple grand and put it in their fucking pocket. If they're doing good and helping you achieve those goals, then go ahead and compensate them. Take care of them. And, and that is what I find to be the best way to incentivize people to not just do their job, but do it really well and go the extra mile and show that, look, we're all in this together company makes money i make money you make money they make money the customer's happy they're going to come back and spend their money it's truly a win-win-win for everybody and when you can figure out that formulation in any business or any relationship whether it's a a employer employee relationship uh, a business client relationship a b2b relationship uh, a a freaking marriage when it truly is a win-win then that's when longevity starts to happen and that's when everybody's happy love it man so um got a question for you let's talk about um i call it you know we've had a conversation about it the dead air that happens when questions are asked on so let's say you're doing a call review and you're listening to those calls and someone asks a question and then the question's answered and then nothing there's (laughs) silence i don't know it's not the perfect answer it's not the perfect answer so so how do you train on that? What do you, what do you say to your sales team? Um, Cause that dead time right there, that's, it's not good. It's always go back into the sale. Um, I don't ever hard sell people hard pitching. Um, but 
anytime when people call in about a product or they're interested product service whatever and they want to buy most likely they're going to have some questions mm -hmm. so when they ask a question when you probably your faqs um how much does x cost well x cost this amount these are two other price point options and if you're trying to be more cost effective this month here's a fourth price point option and then i go back into the cell which one of these options would you like to take advantage of today nice or if they call how does this product works it works by xyz would you like to go ahead and try this product out and get your order started it's not a hard sell but you're taking control of the conversation you're one you're answering their question giving them the the perfect answer and these are all pre-scripted whatever your business model is right so you give them the perfect answer or consider it a rebuttal whatever you like and then you go right back into the pitch right back into the cell right back into the close whatever you want to call it but i always answer a question by asking them a question so it puts me back in control it allows the ball to be in my court and then i can send them in whatever direction i want to so if they're saying how does it work i'm interested i want to buy it but how does it work well this is how it works would you like to go ahead and try our monthly subscription you can cancel any time if i'm trying to build my monthly subscriptions that month right. then i'm going to push push them in that direction well this is how it works and you know what maybe you'd be interested in our influencer program would you like to take advantage of a discount and join our influencer program today so one i'm giving them a discount i'm putting the ball back in my court and i'm inviting them to become a part of my influencer program nice so i didn't just sell i didn't just answer their question where hoping it's a 50 50 shot that they buy it i answered their question I'm, I'm inviting them to a special influencer program i'm giving them a discount they're gonna love me that much more instead of just saying this is how it works that's great man so it's always coming back at them and and all of this is pre-scripted yeah and you should you should have your sales pitch pre-scripted you should have your buttles re-scripted pre-scripted and then even going back into the cell you should have 10 different items that you go back into the cell with and the reason why you do that is so you can one point people in any direction that you want but two if you have this person ask you five different questions you at the end of every question you don't want to say okay do you want to try our special okay do you want to try our special <laughs> you want to use different yeah. you know go back into the sales to where it doesn't sound like you're a freaking robot or reading a script right all right makes sense hey man we had a question come in from uh one of my buddies matthew um he had a little question about what's the difference in approach between b2c e-com digital marketing and business to business e-commerce digital marketing what is the difference between the two? What is the difference in approach? He said the difference in approach. It's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the business model. Um, what is it that we're selling? Give me an example of something we're selling. I might be able to. Um, so let's see. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. Okay, go for it. Uh, there's right now we're running a campaign for uh, energy, uh, Savant Energy. If you need electricity in Houston, uh, commercial or residential call Jeremy Gutierrez at Savant Energy Group. Uh, they'll get you taken care of. Uh, SavantEnergyServices.com. There's your plug. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to use him as a perfect example. Uh, we're running some campaigns, and we're trying to attract, and this isn't a product, not necessarily e-commerce, but close enough example um, that I can think of, unless, Matthew, you want to drop a, a line and let us know what business it is. So when we're doing the marketing out there, right now we're doing pay-per-click marketing, we're doing um, social media, advertising, media buying, whatever you want to call it, and we're putting ads on Facebook in front of business owners, okay, uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, business execs. So let's just say I'm picking Houston execs between the ages of 35 and 60, and that's who we're putting the ads in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still finding that we're getting a shit ton of residential people. Even though I'm going after commercial, I'm getting a shit ton of people wanting to get quotes on their residential services. So, and there's really not a huge margin in residential for these campaigns we're running. Mm. Uh, This just doesn't happen to be a residential campaign that we want to run. We're trying to go after the big boys in the commercial. So we're having a lot of these business owners call in and ask about rates for the residential. So, what we're trying to do with that is capitalize on the residential, but why we have them on the phone and have them engaged, we're asking them about their business model. Um, you know, they're a CEO, we're putting ads in front of them. So we also know that you're a business owner. What are you doing for your business? Who's running your electricity there? Maybe we can save you there. It's for the energy, for the electricity, it's been a tall task. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we're trying different strategies. Um, another example, going after hotels. We're going after you know people that have large volume of kilowatts being used. Uh, so whether it's hotels or whatever, what we're doing is capturing the data of all these hotel owners, getting their email address, getting their phone numbers, and then what we're doing is we're retargeting to them specifically with ads. We're basically telling Facebook, look, Every single person with this phone number, stick my ad in front of them. They are CEO of a hotel. They run a hotel. If I stick this ad in front of them and it says lower your hotel energy bill, that's a lot more targeted, pinpointed strategy than just putting a business ad or or an energy ad in front of every entrepreneur. There's nothing pinpointed there. And most of them are thinking it's for their residences. So if I know I'm putting ads directly in front of a hotel uh, person or a person that makes those decisions, an executive, I will make the ad directed towards hotel energy rates, cut them by 20%. Put that ad in front of them, they're more likely to convert than just stuff out to the masses. Or at least they're more likely to convert from the business B2B side of things that I'm trying to do, not um, B2C. But if there's, you'd have, give me an example, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew, comment in if you can. Um, I'll let him share what what he's got going on. But um, no, I think that's good. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get some more insight from Matthew, but let's, let's keep moving here though. Um, So in the earlier in in the show, we kind of talked about setting your product up, starting a store, that's just that's not just everything that e-commerce encompasses, right? Um, let's talk about client retention. Okay. Cuz I know you got a lot you got a lot of share on client retention. And then uh, then I think maybe we'll, we'll talk about online platforms cuz okay. a lot of people first thing, I mean even for me, I think of Amazon. 
boom. Yep. It's the first thing I go into. But first, let's talk about client retention. How does that fit into e-commerce? Because I know just setting up your store and maybe starting things off, maybe that's 10%. There's other 90% to focus on. There's other elements. So talk to us about client retention. Yeah, there's... <clears throat> Sorry, we'll reiterate that I was uh, in the ER from <laughs> 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. You're, so you're handling like a champ. Though, I had man. to make sure I showed up for you guys. I apologize for... Uh, seeming like i might be a little bit off <clears throat> this was sponsored by who'd you say it was going to be sponsored sponsored by, by pfizer today pfizer <laughs> <clears throat> dude client retention is everything um and there's several diff you know typically you think client retention okay a client quits using me and then i need to get them back on mm -hmm. or you know make sure that you're offering uh, quality assurance, quality control, so your clients don't leave in the first place. Right. But there's also, you know, s several different automated type ways of keeping clients engaged, keeping them on when they do fall off, reaching back out to them. And if you group each one of these as their own little entity and tie it to a percent, there are ways for you to look at it and convert that to a number. Um, before they become a client, uh, drop cart emails, you know. Okay. Uh, uh, abandoned cart emails, I guess, is the correct terminology. But if somebody goes through to your website and they go to buy one of your products and they get most of the way through the uh, system and they don't click buy now, well, you've captured all their information. So uh, what we typically do is send them an email a day later, and this is all automated. Does, the system does it for you. Hey, we noticed uh, you left a few things in your shopping cart. Click here to buy it. You know, hey, you forgot this. Right. Um, and try to get them to convert and buy it. If they don't buy it, three days later, we send them another one that's already pre-scripted and set up. If they don't buy after the first newsletter, then they receive another one three days later. Hey, just reminding you, you left this in your shopping cart. Um, click here to buy it and use this promo code to get 10% off. So now we're incentivizing them with a little bit of a discount. Uh, or if they still don't buy, then maybe 20 days, 30 days later, we send them another one with a huge offer, 30% off, or buy one, get one free, or you know, buy this, get something else to come along with it. Nice. Um, so that you know, the first one is, hey, you forgot. The second one's like, hey, you forgot, here's a little incentive. The third one is, hey, look, you really forgot, let me give you a big incentive, I wanna convert you to a client. And then if they don't convert after that, then they actually go into a different automated newsletter series, which is just your automated series that just provides them good quality content once a month. Right. So um, that is one form of client retention before you even get them as a client. Um, you know, monthly subscriptions. It is a perfect opportunity to create a residual business model or a reoccurring revenue stream that everybody should take care of, uh, take advantage of. I don't care what industry you're in, what you're selling, product, service, um, anything. You always want to figure out how to create that revenue stream of a residual business model uh, or reoccurring revenue. So you can entice people, and it's this is one of those you take a step back to take two steps forward. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> on my websites, when we sell items, if you purchase this product on a monthly subscription, you get a 10% discount automatically. 
So it's like join our premier box subscription plan and become a VIP and you get 10% off every item by being a member of our VIP subscription plan. They feel special. They feel like they're a VIP member of whatever your program is. They get a 10% discount. They're freaking winning. So yeah, you might lose, you know, 10% on that first deal, but now they're on a monthly subscription. So now you're going to get them to buy three, six, eight, 12 times before they drop off. And once you do this for six months, a year, you're going to know what your drop off rate is. You're going to know what your average uh, per month retention is per client based off your subscriptions. Right now, ours is basically seven months. I typically, on average, I keep my clients on a residual income for seven months. So, and you'll figure that out once you do this for a year, two years, three years, uh, you'll be able to figure that out. So that is a huge one. Um, and then the other thing that I love about that, which is client retention, you get notified when those clients drop off. And this is a, a very good nugget to anybody that's implementing this or has this already going is when their card gets declined or they cancel their subscription or whatever the case is. And normally it's from a card getting declined, whether it's the, uh, the code changing or the expiration date or they don't have the money, whatever the case might be. I have a retention department that every single day they call all of these clients that drop off and their pitches. Hey, look, noticed, um, that you're, you know, you don't want to say, Hey, I saw your shit get, get declined and you got canceled because they're going to be embarrassed. So you say, look, I noticed that your account moved to a holding pattern. Not sure if you put it on pause. A lot of our clients do that. Not a problem. Just wanted to reach out and see if you would just like us to extend the date you know, maybe give you a month or two break and we'll go ahead and reenact it automatically. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to touch anything. Um, we're just going to set it to, to run on the 15th of the month in two months. So would you like us to go ahead and have that activated for you? That way, <clears throat> one, you're not saying, hey, your shit declined, <laughs> embarrassing them. Um, most likely it got declined because they can't afford it. When you say on the 15th, that's typically when people get paid. So you don't want to do first because the first is when all your big pills come in. But if you can say, hey, we'll move it to the 16th of the month, two months from now, would you like me to keep it active for you? So that because right now you're grandfathered into this VIP 10% rates. So instead of canceling it, let's just have it reinactivate in two months. I won't touch your credit card for now and then on the 16th, right after payday, it'll hit your card December 16th. Would you like to go ahead and stay on this VIP plan? Does that work for you? And if you change your mind between now and then, feel free to call me. We can pause it anytime you want. You can cancel this. You can pause it anytime you want. Do you want to go ahead and take advantage of that? Smart tactic. And I went right back into the cell. I know you did. <laughs> that was good. So man. that's a form of uh, client retention, um, but losing subscription. Subscriptions should make up a minimum of 20% of your business. So let's just say for easy numbers, we're doing 100 grand a month in sales. You set up a real good uh, monthly subscription plan. Over the course of the next 12 months, you should jump up to 120. If you then um, integrate or launch a loyalty program where people get, you know, points, uh, it's going to bring them back to the website. So you get them to come in, get those points. 
that should increase your revenues or that stream because you already have these clients engaged you're doing something special for them that should give you a five to ten percent increase in revenues for the year so on the low end let's say five so you went from 100 grand to 120 now you're at 125. the drop-off rate the seven month drop-off weight rate that we have for subscriptions when you have your client retention calling them and saving them I count that as you know, uh, basically a new sale, a new revenue stream, but that can help you maintain your 20%. It can increase it. Uh, we'll just kind of leave that alone for right now. Okay, all right. Um, before we move on to online platforms, and I think I wanna, I wanna end with talking about online platforms, um, platforms, excuse me. Let's talk about, we talked about a lot of success with you. We talked about, especially that uh, client retention, those nuggets, they were, they were pretty powerful and I think um, we were working together. I, I remember looking over the shoulder and you guys said like, it was like your abandoned cart rate for getting them re, you know, um, actually getting that a successful sale on that. The, the figure was just like unbelievable. I forget what percentage it was. I know it was double than the average, which was, was just like madness to me. So we didn't even get into influencers oh or gosh, affiliate man. programs I even, or I couldn't even any of those, those, those figures. I was like, Oh, maybe it needs to be optimized. I don't even know what I would optimize with that figure. But Let's talk about the downside, man. What's what happened? You you had something happen in e-commerce where where uh, I think a couple of things uh, economically came into play. Like, give us give us a little background, man, of of, of what happened with that. Man, there's two of them. Uh, <laughs> Biohack Pure, the supplement company. The firearm business was most recent. <clears throat> um. So how, I mean, you're trying to call me out? <laughs> <laughs> what I think what I'm trying to do, I, I think no, it's, 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 it's interesting to talk about because let's, let's just, I actually kind of want to focus on the firearm business because. Well, you I mean, were, you, see you were there back. Yeah. In yeah. Days. And not only that, you see something like, like you see stuff happening with CBD. Um, well, you may see stuff happening in the marijuana industry. I mean, yeah, it's tons of stuff, man. At the end of the day, it, it's real life. It was a real business. Exactly. And I have absolutely no problem talking about it. Um, and it was still a very successful business model and it still is today. If y'all looking for firearms, customization, Cerakotes, go to strack.com or Cerakoters.com. And if you type in Cerakote Houston, both of those websites uh, will show up in the number one and number two position on Google. Fact check that two uh, weeks ago, guys. Check the, check the video. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> data don't lie. Data don't lie. That's uh, right. <laughs> all right. So. I won't get into the story of why I got into the gun business, um, but that'll be a whole nother podcast. I, and where are we at? An hour? Yeah. We're right in an All hour. All right, cool. So we got about 30 more minutes uh, before I got to go take some meds and a nap. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, all right, so I started a gun company. Yeah. There was three pillars to my business. And the reason why I really, a short story of why I got into it is I couldn't find anybody to paint my gun, to do, which is called Cerakote. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find anybody to Cerakote my gun. Um, everybody that I talked to was fucking yeehaw hillbillies that had a 60-day turnaround that I wasn't going to go trust leaving a several thousand dollar firearm or two or three with them. Um, long turnarounds. Uh, when I did come to local shops um, to talk to people about customizing ARs, uh, I loved ARs, wanted to get some, wanted to pimp them out, but there's you know i learned so much now but there's so much to know what's good what's not what works um you know just the different types of key mod rails the different rails in the holes you know you can buy a whole rail system and then buy 
all the different parts attachments you're using the wrong attached for the wrong rail i mean and you can and i did this and i threw away hundreds and hundreds of dollars um trying to learn how to build my own first ars and when i would go to gun shops or i'd call people or talk to them they were all cocky as shit i mean a lot of people in the gun business just you know they're they got big hits and a lot of them are rude to be quite honest uh, at least the ones i was dealing with before i owned a gun shop and so i wanted to build a gun shop that offered cerakote because i knew if i bought all the equipment and saw the market saturation or the lack of saw that nobody was doing it saw that there was 2800 searches a month for serico in houston i was like well shit if i can get all that business i can make 20 grand a month just painting guns and so uh now <clears throat> excuse me in addition to that i want to customize firearms where people walk in and they want an ar it's like a chipotle you pick your upper and lower set, you pick your lights, your lasers, your grips, your butt stocks, you know, your caliber, you pick it, we build it, you test fire it, you take it home with you. Basically, a la carte, Chipotle style, however you want to look at it. So those were going to be my two business models that I was going to have here in the shop. Well, I guess they are here in the shop, uh, right down the street if you need a gun. Um, those were the localized businesses. Uh, I saw the void. I saw the opportunity. So I wanted to capitalize on that financially for Cerakoting. I wanted to actually put nice people in a gun shop setting to handle people that were like myself, executives that would spend thousands and thousands of dollars on guns and not walk into uh, a gun store and be made to feel like a fucking idiot right or like you're inadequate or incompetent or you're dumb because you don't know x y and z um i wanted to be different i wanted to have a shop that catered to people specifically that were like that dude i'm sorry about my voice bro uh that's what happens when you get sick um <clears throat> the third thing was actually where my main revenue stream was going to be it was we basically set up an online marketplace and automated it. So I built a website. I put 10,000 components on there for guns, firearms, anything related from ammo to accessories to apparel to firearms themselves. There was 10,000 plus items on this website. That website connected directly to three different distributors that fed the quantities, the availabilities directly to that website. So when people would go to this website, they would buy something. It would send a signal to the distributor. The distributor would drop ship it to the client. They would get their firearm. The money would go in my account. And I'm basically just a website middleman. I don't ever touch it. I don't see it. The only thing I need to do is have customer service for when people call in to ask questions. Right. So that's why I also did the gun shop and the Cerakote shop because I had hired uh, trained gunsmiths and people that knew a lot of stuff about all these different items. So the local shops, yes, they were meant to uh, bring in revenues, but the real goal of that was to have in-house customer service reps that really knew their shit about everything related to the gun industry. So that's kind of how that automation worked. All I had to do is market and advertise the website make it pop up first on Google, put it on Google ads, do some video marketing, do some social media ads, stick it in front of gun lovers, and it was game time. 
And so that completed the circle. I market it. The people go to the website. They buy. It gets shot directly from the distributor to the client. It's just a well-oiled machine. All I have to do is make my website pop up in front of people that like guns. And it's game over. And that was going to be an eight-figure business model. That was going to be the big boy. But it didn't happen. Didn't happen. It didn't got happen. started. It got launched. It's still <laughs> there right now. Go to strack.com. You'll see it. It happens, man. You know, <clears throat> that's... You want to know why it didn't happen? Let's tell, tell us why it didn't happen. So this bright idea of building the shop came to me um, right before the election when Hillary was going to be the president. Um, and gun business was going crazy. Uh, everybody was getting scared because she was going to win. Gun manufacturers produced hundreds and hundreds of thousands of guns, uh, all the main manufacturers. And at that time, the average ticket on a AR platform was in the twelve dollars to $2,500 range. Um, so as soon as Trump took office and surprised everybody, most people didn't care about buying guns anymore because you got a Republican in office. And all of these gun manufacturers that produced hundreds of thousands of guns to monetize that before she took office or when she did take office, because there's normally a little bit of time frame before they shut it all down, they're all sitting on inventory of hundreds of thousands of guns. And it basically dropped the price point from 1500 down to 500 for easy numbers. They couldn't give ARs away. ARs away. I mean, the, the best companies, SIGs and Bushmasters and Colts, and I mean, all these companies couldn't give ARs away. So when all that happened, my three pillars of business kind of got rid of the build your own firearm because when they were going to come in and build their own firearm, it was going to be a 1500 to $3,000 price point. And most people aren't willing to pay that much if they can just run up to Academy and buy one for 500. Right. It wouldn't be all decked out and have the bells and whistles. It wouldn't be custom, but you know, at that time people really weren't interested in spending that type of money. So I lost one of my pillars, the BYOG build your own gun. <laughs> like that huh? i like that byog baby um <clears throat> but it did help me um with the cerakote side of things because now people were buying four and five guns at a time at that 500 hundred dollar price point so it's like okay you got five guns uh why not make them look a little bit different than the other let's put a camo pattern on it let's you know paint one the color of your sports team or you know, you get real custom and do some real cool shit. I think he had a Captain America one that I like. Man, we did Captain ridiculous. America. We've Nintendos. Dude, we did it all. I think we've done just about everything out there. Um, so I was down to two pillars. I was down to the online website where people were going to buy online. Right. That was going to be the big money maker. And then I had the Cerakote gun shop. And we still customize and build guns for people. It just, it wasn't as popular as um, we had originally anticipated had that election gone the other way. So shortly after that, um, there was, I can't remember what was offhand. There was something substantial that happened that started censorship. And then, I mean, all within about two months, uh, there was school shootings, there was church shootings, there was terrorist attacks, 
there was just a lot of stuff going on related to guns and that's when uh you know people on the left started making a big fuss about it uh, including the owners of these big companies who are responsible for everything online uh, your google facebook instagram which is owned by facebook uh, youtube which is owned by google all of these places that we typically use to advertise and make ads pop up for the gun business um, you know we're going to do diy videos how to use this firearm how to attach the scope to this rail how to install a buttstock how to build an AR, how to do this, how to do that. There was thousands of DIY videos or how-to videos we were going to do. We were also going to do unboxing, you know, where it's, look at this new gun that came in. We're going to unbox it and show you everything that comes with it. Or we're going to take you to the range and test fire and shoot and compare three different guns to each other and do it in a video and show you which three. You figure out which one you want, and then you buy it from us. And we were going to basically start these video marketing campaigns with all of the 10,000 parts that we sold on our website. And we optimize those to show up first on YouTube. We optimize them, then pay to get them to advertise on social media, and we build videos there. We do pay-per-click campaigning to bring them to the website, to those videos, to the ads, to our YouTube, all of that. And so that was our vehicle, or those were our vehicles to advertise the online gun business. Well, right at that time, uh, everybody decides gun censorship. You can no more, no longer advertise guns or sell anything gun related on Amazon, which was a huge marketplace for us. You can't post any videos uh, or there's certain types of videos, which were most of them, that you can't promote or push on YouTube. You can't advertise on any social media channel. You can't advertise on any Google platform or any of Google's partners, it's basically our hands were tied. Every way that I know how to market a business and put it online and get it to the top of Google and start selling items for the fast growth I was talking about earlier, my hands were tied. I couldn't do any of them. I couldn't do videos and put them on YouTube. I couldn't do Facebook ads. I couldn't do Google. I couldn't do shit. And it's like, why fight an uphill battle? And that's right there, guys. That's why we're talking about this because while it's censorship yesterday, you got today with COVID. You got today with storefronts that can't sell. They can't do that. They're forced to try out other stuff. So I think that's it's such a great story to hear that. It's it's sad that that happened naturally because that, that I mean, if you look at your success, what you had with it, I mean, it was going yeah. to be there, man. It was going to work. You know, I mean, Strack now, Strack, and this is probably three years ago when we launched, Strack now does show up organically for many of the gun components. We're actually about to change it up, though. Um, luckily, fortunately, the Cerakote that we launched, Cerakoters, because we're number one on Google and we did such great volume of business, the company was still viable. It was very profitable. It was making great money. I, I made my money back year one, and then the rest had been profit. I actually ended up selling it um about oh, december of 2018 uh to a great group of guys sold them majority interest i still own a very small piece just for the perks and the fun of it nice um the dudes uh edwin and uh tim dudes do a great fucking job uh, and if you do need anything custom built or customized go see them strack.com or saracoders.com um 
with what I was building with my companies and my brands and, and my uh, supplement companies that were already seven-figure businesses, Sarah Coders was bringing in great money. I think year one, we did a quarter million. I think year two was a little bit jump up from that. So it was great money. It was great income, still a success story, but it just wasn't successful enough for me to take my bandwidth away from what I was building. Absolutely. The, the build your own gun part of it, BYOG, that was a cool part of it, but the really the cash cow was going to be what I do is e-commerce. And when that e-commerce got taken away from me for censorship, I had to make the decision. It's better to cut my losses now and get out of this business model instead of trying to figure out when, when your hands are tied and you have so much censorship, sometimes it's better to cut your losses and move on. Fortunately, my losses were still a gain to where I got my money back and then some, but it still wasn't enough profit for me to continue in that business model. Hence, that's why I sold it to a great group of guys um, that falls more in line with them. They're, uh, you know, um, I won't get into the details about them. Great guys, go check them out. But still a successful business model. It just wasn't financially rewarding enough to take away my bandwidth. And that's why I decided to cut those losses and sell it. Makes sense, man. Makes sense. Well, thanks so much for sharing that story, man. I mean, I know it's... Um, now, I can tell you about Biohack Pure where I lost about 250 grand launching a company. And uh, <laughs> it was ahead of its time. So it didn't take off. And probably dropped about a quarter million over three years. Oh, man. That was one of my losses. Yeah. I won't get into the details. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that, that for another day. That one stung. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep that one for another day. But I think our last thing we're, we're covering, then I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll close out for the day, is let's just, let's just close this last thing off. Talking about positive note, I want to talk about online platforms. Everybody thinks about Amazon automatically, but um, what happens when you want to ship internationally? Because I know things can, can get, get a little sticky of where you want to kind of put your products at, but talk about online platforms and maybe some other places to go outside of Amazon that people may not know about. Yeah, first I'll, uh, I'll talk to the international shipping. Uh, international shipping took me years to figure out, learning the hard way. Mm. Um, that alone can cost you so much money and duties and taxes. Uh, it can ruin your customer service or your reviews by people not actually getting their products uh, then wanting to return them and then wanting refunds and it, it gets so expensive where you're like look just keep it and i'll refund you and it eats into your profit margins when i first launched our supplement company uh, first year we we're in 150 countries after year one <laughs> When I looked at the data and added, and some of those aren't considered countries or considered, I don't know, parliaments? What else do they call them? I don't know. I don't know. So uh, anyhow, um, it was, we were sold in all these countries, but I looked at the numbers and let's just say easy numbers on a hundred grand, we're only making a thousand dollars off of international yet I was returning $2,500 in returns. Mm. So it didn't make sense to do international because I was losing money on it. And that's when I did some research and learned about another online platform, eBay, which uh, everybody should know about eBay. Um, eBay had what that was called their international shipping policy. So the cool thing about that is eBay would ship the product internationally for me. 
So if anybody went through eBay, bought my product, and I was a part of their international shipping policy, I would just ship the goods to eBay, and then eBay would be responsible for getting it overseas. Very nice. They paid my price. They paid whatever uh, eBay required for customs and shippings and duties and taxes, whatever the hell they call it these days. And they, uh, eBay took on that responsibility. So it saved me, one, getting it there, uh, getting it there efficiently, and then not making me look like an asshole. Or if somebody left a negative review on my page, eBay would actually go and remove it because I was part of nice. the policy. So eBay became a great revenue stream for me for all of my international for a good two to three years. Um, it wasn't until um, more apps started coming out, their ship station, um, Shopify has some of their own integrations that we're actually jumping over to. Uh, there, there's a handful, I can't even think what they are off the top of my head, but now over the last three years, Shipping has really gone to the next level, um, especially right now with everything going on with COVID. Right. Everybody's shipping everywhere. So uh, people are fast-tracking that uh, automation. Um, some of the other – so shipping can eat your lunch, international shipping. Mm -hmm. uh, so you need to find a good third-party app, software, uh, know how to integrate those to your website so it does it automatically and you're charging the client on the front end not on the back end because if you just let's say your product's ten dollars somebody buys it for ten dollars it gets shipped to them it's waiting at customs and customs says well there's a thirty dollar tax and duty fee well the thing only costs ten bucks yep i don't care but you got to pay 30 bucks to get into the country right they're like well shit i don't want it and then they call us and say i want a refund i didn't get it it's like nah bro i mean <laughs> you bought it yeah it's part of our policies and terms you should know better but then they still go leave you a bad review anyways right so to negate that you end up just refunding their money for 10 bucks because it's not worth 10 bucks to have a shitty review out there uh, and so we learned real quickly let's charge duties and taxes on the front end but the only way to know how to do that properly towards the right number and you're not losing is by getting certain third-party integrations or apis that calculate all that for you Nice. So international shipping, you can ship worldwide to most countries. You just want to make sure you set it up the right way using the right softwares, the right apps, the right companies so that it's all trackable and it gets to where it's supposed to be going and you don't lose a bunch of money. Um, moving to different platforms, Amazon we mentioned, uh, eBay we mentioned. Uh, there's one called Wish dot com uh which is a good one to be on uh bonanza.com walmart walmart's trying to make a big play right now so you want to get on walmart.com and i think we're going to start seeing a lot more with this whole covid thing where everybody's going to start going online yeah and there's a few other little small ones out there i can't even think what they're off the top of the head but um google shopping if you go type in a product where the Google shopping is. Yeah. If you look at that banner and start clicking on those or look at the names underneath those, those will tell you what all the popular uh, online marketplaces are. We typically, a majority is done through Amazon and, and Amazon can make up anywhere from 20 to 50% of a revenue stream or income for you. So earlier when I was talking about selling a hundred grand a month on the website, right? if you do uh, an affiliate program, 
it can jump you up another five to 10%. If you do an influencer program, it can jump you up another 20 to 30%. You add uh, a, a monthly residual or monthly subscription model, it can jump you up another 20%. You sell on Amazon, it can jump you up another 30%. You know, you start implementing some of these client retention things we're talking about in the different platforms and all the stuff we've been covering. You go from 100, 100 grand to 180 grand a month just by bringing new things. At the very beginning, we're talking about you just build a website, put a product yeah. on it, connect it to a merchant, sell it. You're e-com. Yeah, you are. But like I was saying, I can immediately double your sales by bringing in all these other things that I was just talking about. So uh, that's why you want to be on those platforms. Typically, Amazon and eBay are going to be your top two. Uh, then it'll be like Walmart, um, Wish, Bonanza, some of the others will be a very small, uh, minute share of that. But, and then honestly, I would say, I used to say, it's better to be on all of them than one or two of them. But then you got to look at your bandwidth. Wish.com, for an example. I was on Wish for about three years. Uh, or maybe about two years. We were doing, let's just say a thousand bucks a month in sales. I was spending more bandwidth managing that process, uh, that API, the customer service, the returns, the marketing, the advertising, right. the always updating to the algorithm and optimizing it. It wasn't worth the thousand bucks I was making. So I turned it off. Sure. And when it gets smarter and the algorithm gets wiser, then I might turn that switch back on. But you have to, it's all part of A-B testing. You test it, see what works. If it makes sense, do it. And if it doesn't, peace out. Yeah. Jonathan Wiseman spitting fire again today on e-commerce. Um, Jay Weezy. Man, that's all I got for you today. Good, man. Because. <laughs> we're happy to have you here today. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all about, look. When I say I'm going to do something, yeah. even if I was in the fucking ER from 3 a.m. to 6-something, uh, I got my ass up here to do we, this. We should have Hector. Just You should have stayed there, and then we could have just brought, just brought the camera brought to the, the hospital. the hospital. That would have been great. There. Well, I had commitments to you, yeah. to my staff, and to these people watching. That's right. That's right. And uh, two weeks. We're going to be back again in two weeks. Uh, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about more stuff. But today, again, we had questions on e-commerce. If you have more questions, drop them in the comment section below. Send them over to Jonathan Wiseman. Send them to myself, Aaron Morellis. And uh, you got anything else for us, man? That's it, man. Really appreciate y'all tuning in. Every other Friday, we're here, Jay Weiss Live, answering questions about anything related to business. My goal is to give back and lend any uh, nuggets of knowledge that I can to help you build scale your business cut overhead anything so if you ever have any questions um you can ask them in the comments when you see the promo videos or you can shoot dms if you want to remain anonymous to myself or aaron at any time appreciate y'all tuning in and we will see you in a couple weeks thank you guys